Okay, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 30. We'll probably stay in this chapter most of this this evening here, I think. We'll have to see. Verse 1, Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord. Now, who is, who is saying this? Well, the Lord. Yes, but who is saying it to the people? Now, that's quite something because, thank you, because I wonder if you heard a prophet, one of the prophets, if we were there, if we would recognize their voice as being the voice of the Lord. So one of the things that we will learn as Christians, hopefully, some don't learn it, but one of the things we should learn is to know the voice of the Lord. Now, that's not to say we can't make a mistake and miss, miss it, but we get very familiar with hearing someone teach or preach and what have you. And we may hear a message, we may hear this, we may hear that, but what are we really hearing? Are we hearing and knowing it's the Lord speaking, or do we know when it's the Lord or if it's the person? So the message here comes forth to the people. I was reminded of John 12. I think it was John 12. I'm not sure now. But it's, it's, if it's not John 12, it's relatively close to that. Where, where Jesus is saying certain things and the Pharisees are asking him, are you the Christ? And then he says, if, if you were of my father, you would know. Jesus never came out and said that to them. He said it to the woman at the well. He said it to maybe a few other people. But to the Jews and religious leaders, those that thought that they knew, they never heard the voice of God. You, you realize that when Jesus was walking on the earth and he spoke, it was the voice of God. So the voice of God doesn't have to be loud it doesn't have to be soft. It doesn't have to be what a person may think, you know, where they're going to hear it and, you know, they're going to fall onto the ground. Now, we know that that happened when the soldiers came when Jesus spoke. But that was only one instance. Most of the time when Jesus spoke, he spoke. For the majority of the religious leaders, they never recognized nor heard the voice of the Lord. Why? The people... They were convinced when they saw the signs and the wonders, and they, they debated back and forth. You know, there was a division with the Jews, with the, um, the leaders. He said, this man has a devil. They said, well, how can a person have a devil and do all these wonderful works and all these things? And so they were, they were back and forth with that. And, and some of the people, when they saw the things that Jesus did, for example, the blind man, you know, here he is. Jesus, uh, I believe he puts mud on his eyes, tells him to go wash. Then he, he's, he's born blind, and then he can see. So that he comes before the Jews. They bring him into the synagogue, and they keep questioning him time and time and time again. That's like three times they question him, and, they, and he answers them the same thing each time. At the very end, he says, all I know is once I was blind, now I see. And then they keep on asking, well, how did, how did he do this? He says, will you be his disciples also? Are you going to follow him? Because they keep on pressing him. See, that, and even, 
at that time, I believe the Lord was using some of the things that this former blind man said, but still they never recognized the voice of the Lord. They never recognized when someone was saying something that was from the Lord. So the Lord never wants that. He wants us to know. He wants us to recognize when he's speaking. So that's one of the reasons why it says, forsake not the assembly of yourselves together. So when you come together, and of course, you know, with different churches, you have different things. Not all churches are the same. Not all churches have the focus being the Lord. It may be activities. It may be the music, it may be a bunch of different things, but not all have as the focus, the reason why they're there is Jesus Christ. And so when we come together, you know, we should begin to learn if there is, if there is the moving of the Spirit. That's why the moving of the Spirit is so important and it should be coveted by the Christian because we will learn things no other way than sitting you know, in a place where the Spirit of God is moving. Now, if we sit in that area enough, it will do something in us, in our inner man, to where we will be able to distinguish much of the time uh, whether something is of God and whether it is not. Some things are obvious, whether what is being said is of God or is of the person or is not, it's of the enemy. And you can actually listen to certain preachers, and if you have a discerning ear, you can hear when they start to move into another thing, to where, you know, what they're saying is is from themselves. It's not what the Lord is saying. Now, that does not necessarily mean that everything has to be done off the cuff. I'm not saying that because it says, Paul tells Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto God. So Paul, we know he studied, you know, under the feet of Gamaliel. So we know that he spent time before, and I believe that that which he learned before, even though it was incorrect, a lot of it was incorrect, and he was into the religious, you know, being a Pharisee of Pharisees, still he had a background in the scriptures that when he sat down and he started to read them and study them, after he became a believer, now the Lord could teach him what was really there and show him what was there, and he began to hear the voice of God. You can hear the voice of God through his word. Now, that doesn't mean every time you read something in the Bible that you understand what I'm saying, right? It's when the Spirit comes upon a person and the Spirit illuminates uh, the word to them. And so you have this thing many times where Christians, they've been Christians for 10, 20, 30 years, And they have difficulty knowing what is the voice of God and what is not the voice of God. And when you read, for example, the Minor Prophets, you had all these different men. I don't know how many books are in the Minor Prophets. About 12, I would say. So you have all these different men, all these different prophets. 
And they're bringing forth a message to the people. And the people, for the most part, did not discern, especially the leadership, did not discern the voice of God. So you see that with Isaiah, you see it with Ezekiel, you see it with Jeremiah. It's throughout the Bible, throughout the Bible, even in the New Testament. And so the Lord wants his people to be able to know when he says, thus saith the Lord. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean when somebody prophesies, because I heard this years ago when I first became a Christian and was in the church. You know, somebody called, thus saith the Lord, and they start going on and on and on, and then it's like the words just have no meaning, that nothing comes to pass. But then there are those who said, thus saith the Lord, and maybe not even used those words, and certain things they said were right on. And so... You know, being in the church environment, forsake not to assemble yourselves together, is to be a place of learning, learning from the word and learning from the moving of the spirit, which is extremely important and is very necessary today. Now there, and I'll just go off here on the side a little bit, there today we have this abundance of music in the churches. You have the contemporary, you have, all, you have all this stuff. But let me ask you this. Some of it's pretty good. But let me ask you this. Have you sensed with some of the music that it's just music? The words are good. The melody's catchy. Some of it does not, first of all, portray biblical truth accurately. It's what the songwriter came up with, and they, they, they brought that up. And secondly, can you sense the Spirit of God in that when you hear it? Now, if you hear it 35, 40 times, 50 times, after a while, that, you know, that's something different. But when you hear it, for example, the first time, you know, is there a witness of the Spirit there? And so, I mean, now in secular music, for example, classical music, you wouldn't get the witness of the Spirit, but it's a neutral thing. And it's, you know, some of it's very enjoyable to listen to. I like some of the, even some of the Italian music, you know? <laughs> Pretty good stuff, some of it. But see, now we're moving over to the setting of the church here, and this is to be a place where we are to learn the moving of the Spirit, and we are to learn the voice of God. If we don't learn the voice of God, then how will we discern what is from Him, what is not, what someone says is of Him, what is not? So you will learn that in the church setting for the most part, and you take that with you to your job. You take that with you to wherever you go, and you can actually discern when a sinner says something from the Lord. Now that's happened to me several times, uh, well, more than several, but it's happened to me at, at work where somebody says, you know, people say everything at work, you know, this and that, and it's like, it's all just, you know, related to work or related to their life or related to who knows what. And then all of a sudden, somebody says something, it's like, boom, like, 
I, I know that's the Lord in what just in that little thing that they said that was something the Lord was showing me. Could be direction, could be anything. So how do you learn that so that you know you can discern this? Because remember here, one of the things we're seeing here in Isaiah is, is repetitive. Where now we're in chapter 30, and he says, Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord. So they're not hearing. The religious leaders didn't hear. When Jesus was upon the earth and walked among them, they did not hear. He said, they said, we are Moses' disciples. In other words, not, not yours. You know, we follow Moses. You know, you are, they said to Jesus, your witness is, is false because you are witnessing of yourself. Now, see, that, that's something, if somebody would come in here and they would start to say, you know, I am this and I am that and I am this. Hey, boy, they, boy, they're pretty full of themselves. And, of course, in the natural, that's the way we, we would look at it. The Jews were looking at it the same way. But because they did not penetrate past the religious veil, they ended up reasoning, and they never heard the voice of God or the voice of the Father through Jesus. Jesus said, you're not of my Father, or else if you, if you were, you would know my words. And then, um, what else did he say to him? Oh, they, they said, I, I mentioned that before, that he had a devil. He said, listen, he says, I'm not bearing witness to myself. He says, I'm bearing witness to myself. He says, but there's another who's bearing witness to me, and that's the Father. But see, they, they, they couldn't see the Father, so they're not believing his witness. So he says, well, if you don't want to believe my witness, believe the works. And the, the people said, no man has spoke like this. They sent the soldiers to Jesus to, to um, I guess, arrest him. And they come back and said, well, where is he? They, and the soldier said, no man ever spoke like this. They said, are you deceived also? So they looked at Jesus and what Jesus was doing and what Jesus was saying is deception. Jesus had the witness of himself, the witness of the Father, the witness of all these mighty works. And the witness of those who said, once I was blind, now I see. Well, let's call his parents. Let's ask him if he was really blind. Yeah, that's him. Yeah, he was blind from birth. They didn't believe it. They didn't believe it. So getting back to where we are and where we live, you will learn more by coming to church than you think. Now, we, don't, we think when we come to church, you know, we come to church, you know, the song service and the altar and then the message, what have you. There's more to learn than that. And whether we learn it and understand it in our mind or not is not the issue. The issue is, are we open to the Lord enough to allow him to teach our spirit, and we might not even know that he's teaching us in spirit. You know, he does things that we're not aware of. Do you know that? So he teaches in places and teaches things that we don't have a mental grasp of necessarily. And so he does stuff in us, certain things, so that now you're out on your job 
and something happens or something is said, and you know that that's the Lord, and that one thing may be the only thing for five months that's said in the workplace that's of any value, but you know that that particular thing is the Lord. And, And you learn that, and it's valuable to learn that. And as I said, it doesn't mean that we can't miss it, because it's a learning process. You know, a disciple is a learner, and learning is learning. You know, you learn, and it's a progressive thing. So, you know, don't let anyone in the enemy condemn you because you miss certain things, or you think one thing's, you know, the Lord, and it's not. But see, that's not the problem. The problem is that, you know, sometimes we don't have teachable hearts. I learned some things, and I, I understood this, Many years after it happened, I learned things. I learned the moving of the Spirit in a small prayer group when the first church first started. It was 20 to 25 people, and we weren't getting together necessarily for the Word. Uh, we got together as a prayer meeting in, in, a, in that type of a setting. And uh, I learned the moving of the Spirit among the people to some degree. And then when we went into the church, actual church setting, when the church started, I was able to see and sense at times the moving of the Spirit. And so that whole setup there of church, you know, coming together can be the means by which God can teach you certain things that you will learn nowhere else. You're not going to learn it at home studying, and I study. You're not going to learn it Uh, necessarily doing anything else but being around other believers when the Spirit of the Lord is moving. And that can be so, you can become so in tune with that that sometimes you'll know when a song is to be sung and what song it is. Or when a person behind you has a message or a prophecy or something. And you know it, but you just wait. Is it, are they going to give it or anything else? So the, the Spirit can communicate that to you. Not that he, he necessarily tells you that. It's that you know, you start to understand the moving of the Spirit. And because you, know, you are you know, with the Lord there, you start to see things with your eyes closed. You see things and you're, you're, you're hearing things or you're knowing the direction that something should go in the service. And I've seen many times where the Lord wanted to go in a certain direction with a certain song. And that song didn't come out, but he went the same way around about with some other, you know, music or whatever it may be. And he gets you where you need to be. So you don't learn that at work. Of course, we know that. But you know what? Work is not as unspiritual as we think. You know, we only learn so much at church. And a lot of what we learn, we're hearing, we're receiving, but we don't have the personal revelation of that yet. And so, you know, you go to work, now the Lord may want to bring a personal revelation to you about some particular thing. Or maybe you're not thinking about any specific thing, and now the Lord moves in a certain way and you see something, and that clicks now from something you heard And now, because 
See, this situation you're in is touching you because you're in it. Now, because of that, you receive revelation related to that, which now the Lord can link that together because you've heard something about that before. Are you following me? So, you know, the Lord has all kinds of ways to, to teach us. But hearing his voice, it's not necessarily an audible thing. Now, when I, when I say audible, I don't mean like I'm speaking. I mean like an audible thing in, my, in our spirit. See, there's such a thing as you hear it audibly in spirit, if that makes sense to you. It's so, so you actually, you're hearing it. Uh, or, which happens with me uh, more than anything, is that uh, I'll move along and the Lord will just kind of show me the direction. Like, this is, this is the way, this is it, or this is, you know... Okay, that's it right there. Okay. And now I know, and I start to move in that way. Then he can redirect you and whatever. But it's not like the Lord says, that way. <laughs> Go that way. Not necessarily. It's in your spirit. You know, you just know that way. That <laughs> you should know it. It's not that the Lord brings that to you. So you can hear here, but just in your spirit now you know, and then you start to move that way. So, you know, these things are learned, you know, he teaches us, and he wants us to know. So getting back to Isaiah, and as I said, this is a very familiar thing we're seeing throughout the Bible, where you see, for example, Jeremiah, you know, telling them this or that, and this thing and that thing, and and they're not hearing it. What about whenever uh, Elijah deals with the false prophets of, of Baal? And he goes back and forth with um, Ahab and Jezebel. And then finally, the Lord brings that thing to a head. And then he shows Elijah. He says, now, uh, was it 650 prophets of Baal? It was quite a few of them. Uh, and he says, okay, now... We're going to see who's the true God here. And he goes through the whole thing and he says, now, you, know, you will put this, this wood here on the altar and stack it all around. And you call upon your God, you call upon Baal to call fire down and consume this, uh, I think it was a sacrifice and, and to you know, the wood and what have you. And so they, they did this half the day, cutting themselves and, you know, bleeding and all this other stuff. And, you know, I, Elijah's just kind of just standing back and letting them do their thing. Finally, you know, they come to an impasse. Nothing's happening. So Elijah tells them, okay, tells the people, now go get water, dig a pit, a trench around the outside, and dump water on the, on the wood, on the offering. Keep dumping the water. And they dumped it on until it ran down and filled this trench. So then he calls upon the Lord, and fire comes down. Now the fire came down and consumed the offering, consumed the wood, and it says it licked up the water around in the trench. Evaporated it. Gone. Now you would think that that would have been the greatest altar call ever. But it says nothing about these prophets of Baal repenting. 
So they saw this tremendous miracle. They didn't repent. Nor did Ahab and Jezebel repent and say, that was the voice of God. I mean, how plain can it be? I mean, it's as plain as the nose on your face. Well, to us, to them, they had their own agenda. They had their own thinking. They had their own way they wanted things in their life and and in the country. And so because they were so wrapped up in their uh, evil ways, that even seeing this tremendous miracle where fire comes down and just takes it all away, and I believe that the people killed all the prophets of Baal. I believe so. But my memory, I haven't read that for years. So if I'm wrong, then you'll have to forgive me. They never, Ahab and Jezebel never repent. Never say that that was God. On the contrary, Jezebel, she says to Elijah that she's going to kill him. She's going to send people out to kill him. And he takes off. The voice of God was not heard in that instance. Why? Why? Why didn't they? They didn't want to hear. You know, they they didn't want anything interfering with their way and their thinking and their life, what they wanted. So he says here. Let me read this from the King James first, verse one. Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord that take counsel, but not of me, and that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. Now, the New King James says it's a little different, but let me, let me go back here. It says here uh, that they cover with a covering. And, and that, I looked those words up, the word cover, uh, and it means uh, to weave a web. And uh, the web, I believe it's talking about, is a textile fabric. To we- you know, they would weave things back then. They had, they had a you know, loom, and they would weave. And so he says that they, they take counsel, but not of me, and that they cover with a covering. And here's an interesting thing. Delilah wove the seven locks of Samson, Samson's head head into a web. What was she trying to do? She was trying to ensnare him. You know, this web. She was trying to cover him with this web of sin. And she succeeded later on. She succeeded. But here, it says to cover with a covering, but not of my spirit. So you have these people who are rebellious. You have the leaders who are rebellious. And they're not interested in the truth. See, the tr- you know, do, do we want the truth or do we want the truth that we want? Do we want to hear the truth or we want to, do we want to hear some truth related to what we're interested in in our life, even as a Christian? We'll get to the New King James in a minute here. I, I believe that there's, there's two meanings here to this, two basic meanings. Uh, it could mean uh, other things, I'm not sure. And one of them is in the, in the King James, it says, uh, to cover. The next thing I think it means is to trap. 
So they think they're covering themselves and protecting themselves, and, and their covering becomes a trap. And if you want to really think about that, you know, what do men do related to their own personal life? You know, for example, their sin, the things they do that are wrong. Do you think someone, who, for the most part, who uh, is a murderer or a thief or whatever, uh, they, don't, they don't broadcast that, especially to the authorities. They cover it. Uh, man, and we see this with Adam and Eve, the thing that they did was they covered their heart. When they sinned, they covered their heart. And God said, well, you know, you know who told you you sinned? And he covers, covers them, literally covers them. From the beginning, there has been a defense posture with man where they cover the heart, first of all, to hide uh, their sin or whatever that's not right. And secondly, they cover their, their heart from God. They, they cover their heart or harden their heart so that the Lord cannot penetrate that particular area. So there are people who, for example, may be in the workplace that do not want to hear anything about the Lord for various reasons. You know, they're satisfied and happy with their life, maybe. They want to cover uh, and, and keep and preserve and protect where they are, where they're living, you know, and they'll say, this is what I believe, that's what I believe, and so on and so forth. And they, they put this, this web, this covering around them, thinking that this is a thing of protection, when in fact it becomes a web or a trap. You know, a spider, we know about a spider, and they, they make a web. They don't get trapped in it, we know that, but you know what happens to any unsuspecting insect. It gets stuck, and it's, they're done. So man can put this web around them, as protection, but in, in reality, it becomes a trap. Now, in the New King James, it says this, Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who take counsel, but not of me. Now, that's interesting. They're, they're receiving counsel, but they're not receiving the right counsel. So, you know, they're, they're, what they're receiving, the counsel that they're receiving is based upon what they want to hear. They want, as it says in the Bible, they want their ears tickled. I was here to hear what they want to hear. And people today even will go to churches where you know, they agree with what the pastor is saying and preaching rather than being led of the Spirit. So people will go from church to church, for example, if they're going to hunt for a church, and the basis by which uh, they're going to stay or not stay in the church is whether they like the message, whether they like the pastor, uh, whether they feel comfortable, you know, all these different things. But the real test is to be the leading of the Spirit. So a person can be led to a church that they might not really be real fond of the pastor. They may not like how he preaches. They, would, they may like a different style of preaching. 
They might not like where the church is. They might not like the building. See, but that is all things that, that men do, Christians do, that are flesh. We would not think that when somebody goes out, we're going to go out and find a church. And the basis by which they're going to find a church is the flesh. Well, you can't tell them that. But it is. If you're not being led of the Spirit, then chances are when times get difficult there at that church, you'll leave. The Lord led me in this way. And it's a good thing. Because I could have left a lot, a lot of times. And there were times when I said, you know what? I'm not too sure about this. And the Lord reminded me, he said, remember, I led you here. So, okay, that's all I need to know. Now, that hasn't happened for some time, but it happened several times. And what happens is a person is in a church and something's said or something's done. They become offended. Um, you know, there's so many different things. You know, you know uh, well... There's not enough activities there, and I have young children. I've heard that, you know. And all these different things. And what happens is they leave, and they, they aren't moving by the Spirit of God. They're not moved out by the Spirit of God to some other place. And then their searching is based on the things I just said and not on the leading of the Spirit. Now, that's not to say the Spirit of God can't lead a person out of a church. But if he does, he will lead them the right way. Now, I remember when I, I was going to a CNMA church. That's where I was water baptized. And um, it, it, the Lord had put in my heart that there's, there's more. There's more. You know, and I had heard about this full gospel thing. You know, But I just felt in my heart that there was more. I said, Lord, well, I, I have no clue what to do or where to go. I, I don't know. I just don't know. And so... I was, this was my first time, the first, uh, I don't want to go into all the details, but anyway, I was driving past this church, and it was like, when I, I was going, only like 20 miles, I looked over, and it was like the Spirit of God was saying, there, you know, go there. And I, real quick, I looked at the, uh, the time, and so I wanted to come for the church service, and what happened was I read the sign wrong, but I don't really think I read it wrong, I think the Lord just, you know, had me see what he wanted me to see. So I went there, and of course, Sunday school. And, uh, you know, we were in a room almost the size of this. This was in a house. There was a church and a house right next to it, and they, they used the house as part of the rooms for Sunday school. And so I go in, and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. I don't know anybody here. There's only about ten people. And I'm used to this big church, you know, big church. Okay, whatever. So this guy comes over to me. He says, hey, how you doing? My name is... I says, I says, oh, my name's Al. Okay, he says, hey, you by yourself? I said, yeah. He's your first time here? I said, yeah. He says, why don't you come over and sit with me and my family? So okay. So I never sat with him. So the whole time after Sunday school, he said to me, and he was very attuned, he says, do you have any questions? And I did have questions. And I sat there listening to the song service. I thought, boy, what are they doing? They had tambourines and all that, you know, so... What in the world are they doing in there? I wanted to go. <laughs> I don't want to stay in a Sunday school room. So I'm there and talking to him and talking to him, the whole church service. And he was taking his Bible out and showing me certain things. 
He said, well, are you going to come back next week? I said, yeah, I want to come to church. He said, why don't you come to Sunday school too? I said, okay. So <laughs> I came to Sunday school and sat with him, his wife, and two children uh, in the church. And uh, why did I even say that? <laughs> Just stop and think. I made it to Sunday service. You were talking about but, why people leave the church before that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, thank you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. After I went to the church service, I came back the next week, and I just felt that that's where the Lord wanted me. I left the other church because I felt the Lord leading me. This was a direction. And I didn't know if this was going to actually be, you know, where I was going to be going to church. And what happened was that church split. We went into a prayer, a prayer uh, group. We just kind of met together. We didn't meet to start a church. We just met together in a prayer meeting, and that's where the church started. So the reason to leave a place is to be the leading of the Spirit, not because, you know, you're just you're like you've had enough of everything or you had enough of getting beat up Sunday morning or, you know, by the Word you know, or, or Bible class or whatever. You know, you leave for the right reason, by the leading of the Spirit. And then when you get out there, see, if you're led by the Spirit, the Spirit of God has already a place planned for you, and then he shows you that. Then you're, you're successfully moved from one place to another. But that's not the norm. You know, people usually leave because they're offended or, or something's not you know, in their mind. That's, you know, that shouldn't happen, blah, 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 whatever. And the underlying reason sometimes doesn't even come out, you know, what's really going on. So it's best to be led by the Spirit. So the counsel, who will take counsel? He says, who takes counsel but not of me? They take counsel here, but not the right counsel. They're taking the counsel most likely that they want to hear. They're going to go in the direction that they want to go. Then he goes on and says, And who devise plans, but not of my spirit? So plans are devised. Plans are made. And this so much applies to today, where people make their plans. You know, everybody makes plans. Now, of course, you know, if if you're going to have a graduation, you have to make plans. I mean, you can't just say, well... We'll think about it. And we'll wing it. The last minute, we'll all get together. So you can't do that. Now, I mean, some people would think that's what you're supposed to do. But certain things you have to plan out. But other things, unless the Lord gives you a defined direction, you have to kind of have a, a direction to, to, that you're going to go in until the Lord comes and, and you know, puts it all together. But the point is that the heart of the people or the leaders, they're devising a plan. And he says here, but this is the Lord speaking, but this plan that they're devising is not of my spirit. So that tells me that we, all of us, all Christians, should be getting the spirit of God involved in what we're doing. See, if we're going to plan something, we're, we want to have the Lord's input. Because we can plan things and do all kinds of things, 
well, I'm, I'm not going to come to church because, you know, I have this plan to go to the Bahamas. Well, you know, it might be that you should go to the Bahamas because it's your, you know, your vacation and you worked all year long and you, you felt that that was okay for you to go to the Bahamas. But, you know, people go on vacations. People go golfing on Sunday. Christians, I'm talking about Christians. They put golf in a priority over church sometimes. Now, I'm not saying a guy can't golf or a girl can't golf. I mean, everything has to be in its proper place. You can devise a plan to go on a golf tour where sometimes they golf like the one group of people that I, I knew. They would uh, do this golf tournament thing where they would go on, I think, like seven or eight places that they would, they would golf consecutively, not in the same day, but they would, and they, they plan that whole thing out. See, as a Christian, we have to have our priorities correct. You know, Jesus has to be the center and the focus. Now, if, if Jesus is the center and the focus, then, you know, he could give you liberty to do something. See, if you, if you, you know, go hunting, you know, go hunting or fishing. I mean, he can give you liberty to do things, whatever it may be. But see, he may come someday and say, no, I think that, you know, you, you shouldn't hunt. You shouldn't go fishing. I, I, I liked it whenever these guys at work, they only did this like once, once or twice. They wanted me to go hunting go up their cabin with them, up north, Meadville, somewhere up that way. And there was a bunch of them. They says, oh, we have a great time. You get away from the wife, and you have a blast. I says, well, hey, listen. I said, would you mind if I brought my wife? <laughs> you should have seen the look on their face. I said, I says, listen, I married her because I love her. I said, I'm not trying to get away from her. I said, I don't need to be away from her. They didn't ever invite me back. <laughs> And I was quite happy. Don't ask me. You're going to ask me to go hunting. I'm bringing my wife. You're doing what? We're going to be here away from them all. Don't you want to get away from her for a week? I said, no. No. Why would I want to do that? And I'll tell you what. You get a group of guys together, there will be unanimously, they will vote, you know, like the Women's Seder Club <laughs> from Little Rasmus, if any of you remember that. No women allowed. Well, so the Lord can give you liberty, but he might say no. And me, I had no, I had no desire to do that, and I never have, and I probably never ever will. If I would go, it would be to witness to people. <laughs> and that for sure, they'd never ask me back. They'd be drinking, I'd be witnessing. So, who take counsel but not of me, and who devise plans, but not of my spirit. We should desire the spirit of God. And you'll find out, you know, he'll give you liberty to, to do things. But at times he may just redirect you. He, you know, the Lord's very, very good. And even if we miss it, you know, the Lord, it doesn't, we don't suffer in relationship with him if we have a heart for him, if you understand what I'm saying, and we're not intentionally trying to de deceive ourselves to do something different. You, you understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. See, we can even miss it. And the Lord's, you know, that's okay. He, he comes back and he'll redirect us. 
and he, he's just wonderful. He's so wonderful. And, you know, you know, as long as in our heart, you know, we want what the Lord wants for our life, and we want to go that way, and, and we, we try the best we can to follow him and, and go according to his leading, then, you know, if we make a mistake, the Lord is well able to make up for that. Verse 2, who walk to go down to Egypt. Now, this is quite something. Now, who can tell me what Egypt is a type of? Well, thank you. We all should know this by now. I mean, how many times have we said this in this church? Egypt is a type of the world. In verse 1, he talks about devising plans. Now, in the context here, now I used it and related that to our lives because, see, we live now and not back then. But the context here is that they were devising a plan for their protection, for the protection of the nation, that they were going to uh, go in league with Egypt to strengthen you know, their country. So he says here, who, who walk to go down to Egypt and have not asked my advice. See, that's the key, not asking the Lord. So it's critical, as I said before, to get the Lord involved in the plan or get the Lord's advice on what's going on. And you may ask the Lord's advice and you still might not know. Do you know that? You know, you can ask the Lord's advice and still don't know what to do. <laughs> it's so true. You don't know what to do. Now what? Well, one of the things you do is if you don't have to make a decision right away, you wait. If you have to make a decision, you say, Lord, you know, I have to make a decision. And if you don't know, you make a decision. Because if your heart is really wanting the Lord and you want his, him involved and you want his advice, and he doesn't even show you, and you're not, you're not sure, you make the decision, and even if it starts to go in a, in a different direction, the Lord, by his Spirit, will change that. That's what I have seen in my life when that has happened. You know, and and uh, on occasion, I had to stop and, and make another decision. It's better to know the right way, but we won't always know. We need to trust the Lord and he will bring it to pass. And he does what he does very well, and he can take a decision. And remember, it, it, you know, the decision, you don't want to base it on what you want, because usually what we want is not the correct direction, usually. So we need to push all that stuff out of the way, ask his advice, and then just wait. And if we can't wait any longer, then... Make a decision, and then watch the Lord. He'll, he'll work the thing, you know, for your good. He'll do some things in there that you know, you'd just may be quite surprised. So it's a win-win situation. When you walk with the Lord, it's a win-win situation. He, he always works all things together for good to those who love him, are, de are dedicated to him. Those who are dedicated to him, those are the ones that he works all things together for good. So you can want the right direction. You want his advice, and you're not sure. You can make a decision, and it can be 
incorrect at first. You see it, and then the Lord just takes that thing and he takes care of it because he sees the heart of the individual. And I think that's fantastic. Now, the best is to know, to know the direction. But there are times when we're not sure. As I said, we're not sure. But we can still trust the Lord, and he'll come through. Who walk to go down to Egypt and have not asked my advice to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh. See, so that's what's going to happen. They're not going to have the advice of the Lord. They don't want that. They're devising their plans. And now they're going to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh. Or they're going to strengthen themselves uh, in the strength of the leader of this world. Who's the God of this world? Yes. So Pharaoh can be a, a type of the enemy. They strengthen themselves in the strength or the grip of the enemy because they are not wanting the Lord involved with them in that particular place, in that particular you know, decision, whatever it may be. They don't want the Lord in there because they're afraid of what the Lord might say. Have you ever been afraid of what the Lord might say? Oh, boy. You don't need to be. You don't need to be. See, I was always afraid the Lord would ask me to teach. <laughs> so you don't need to be. <laughs> You don't ever know. But, you know, he does his things, and he does them pretty good. Now, I, I don't know. I, as, as I see it, and the Lord, uh, he never lets you down. He, he brings you up. You know, you know as, as a child, you, you bring them up, and they mature and all that. So he'll bring you up. Right? Don't be afraid of the Father, because what he has for you the plans he may have for you, uh, if he would show them to you, you may not agree with him. And probably when you, you see it, you won't agree with him. But you have to remember that he is God. And he told Job, okay, tell me if you can, you know, how do you suspend the planet in nothing, on, on nothing? How do you, you know, it's like I see the Lord grabbed the, the earth and he spun it like this. You realize that that has, has been... Well, they, they believe millions of years. I don't know how long it's been. I know it's, you know, it's been six or 7,000 years, 6,000 years since man was created. But the Lord spun that thing, and it's hanging in space. Somebody come up here and get these glasses and spin them here for me and make them hang in space here. You say, well, that's because there's gravity here. There's no gravity up there. Well, that doesn't make it any easier. So the Lord takes the earth and he spins it. And all these thousands of years, it's still spinning. I was actually thinking about this last week. And like I said, I told you, I think about things that are kind of, people <laughs> don't even think about it. That's what I think about them. Maybe it's, I think about them because of, it's gonna, the Lord's going to you know, use them during class. I don't know. I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking, the Lord took the earth and he spun it, right? And it's like clockwork. It's spinning. But not only, like if you would take a top. Now, how, how many older people we have here? Do you remember the tops they used to have? <laughs> oh, not here. You remember the tops? Okay, Sally. You remember the tops they used to have, the, the wooden ones? And you used to wrap a string around them, and then they had a little thing on them. And you go like this, you throw them, 
and then they'd fly out, you know, the string would, and they'd spin like this. Yeah. And they'd spin on this, this metal tip, and that's been for a long time if you were on, like, um, linoleum or, you know, someplace like that where, you remember that, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You still have one? No. no. Okay. <laughs> but, okay, whenever, whenever you spin that, the thing's going like this, isn't it? Now, think about this. The Lord spun the earth in such a way that every year it tilts. It then comes back up. That's where you get the winter and summer. In winter, it tilts away from the sun. This is the sun. And you get indirect rays, hit the earth, and then it's, not, it's colder. But then in the summer, the sun doesn't suddenly go further away. Then the earth comes up, and you get the direct rays of the sun, and you have your, your seasons. So he, he not only spun it like we'd spin a top, but he spun it in a way that it perfectly, a certain time of year, it bends this way and back up. Now, if, whenever you spin those tops, if you remember, when they were starting to slow down, they start to do this wobble thing, and then wobble and wobble, and finally they go like this, and then it, and it spin across the floor. But the Lord spun the earth... And that, that's like clockwork, boom. My brother-in-law, he used to um, work for the Naval Observatory, and he used to fly all over the world, and he would, he'd go to Zimbabwe, and he'd go you know, to South America, and he'd, he'd go you know Canada, and he'd buy two plane tickets, one for him, one for this clock. He'd take this atomic clock and strap it in the seat next to him. So he'd, he'd go to, I know he went to Kenya, and uh, he'd go there, to their, their scientific labs or whatever, and he'd set this atomic clock up, and the atomic clock measures the exact rotation of the Earth at that time, and, and it records it like one millionth of a second, something like that, and, and then they readjust their clocks, and they do that for scientific experiments, so he'd fly all over, all over the world, and he would tell me that in some years, the Earth would lose two seconds. And in other years, it would gain two seconds. But for the most part, it was always pretty much the same. Now, how do you do that? How do you spin the world and have it maintain that type of speed doing this back and forth? That's way beyond us. That's way beyond us. So when you're asking... His advice, he knows a lot, lot more than we do in every area, including science. He knows it all. So God will do his thing. He'll work all things together for your good. So you don't have to to worry too much about, well, I don't really agree with you, God. (laughs) I really don't. Me, teach? Are you crazy? There's about... Fifty other people I could think of right off the top of my head that should be teaching, not me. Well, okay, now, where were you when I hung the earth? Oh, boy. <laughs> so well, what are you going to do, argue with God? Well, people do it all the time. If you actually think about some of these things, you're saying, maybe he knows a little more than I do. Maybe he knows what's best. You know, maybe he has an outcome in all this that is far, 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 far beyond what we think, what we know. See, the outcome of your life, 
who your life can touch and influence is far beyond your understanding. I was, I just said something to someone just a couple days ago. I said, I was reflecting Sunday morning. I said, I was reflecting last week upon my life. And I said, Lord, is my life having the impact or is it influencing enough people? You know, because I have this desire to help people, to help Christians. I am where I am, and that's fine. And the Lord has to do what he does best. And so I don't see the impact of my life as far as eternity goes. I can see a little bit here. Sunday morning, we went up to the jail, and that's always a trip. So the first week we went, we went, uh, they, they have it divided from first floor to eight. The higher you go up, the worse the criminals. So the first time I taught up there, we went to, to six and seven. <laughs> I thought, well, you may as well just be baptized into the thing. That's the way I'm looking at it. Just be baptized into it. So I thought, well, this time will be, you know, who knows what. Well, this time ministered in maximum security, which is eight. So go in there, and you know, it's pretty good. It was good. And at the very end, I was challenging. We had 16 men. They were maximum, maximum security. And they're, you're in the middle, and they're in tables all around you. <laughs> Woohoo! Glory to God! <laughs> didn't bother me a bit. I could care less. Because, see, you go in God, and your life is in Him, and you do what He wants you to do. And I had something at the very end that I wanted to, to challenge these men in. And I thought, well, I wonder, I wonder if the Lord is going to do something here. I'm, I'm waiting to hear to see if, some, if God really does something. Because that was, like I said, the worst of all the Places there, this was the worst. And I, <laughs> I told him, are you men? <laughs> I was, I was, whatever. Are you men? I, I explained to them about this one fellow that I led to the Lord. And the Lord had me tell him. And it was this big guy. Well, I challenged them to dedicate their lives. And 14 out of 16 of them came forward. They all, I said, don't come up here. Because I'm asking you, don't come up here because of the message. You come up here because you want the Lord to change your life and that this is going to not be a one-time thing for you. It's going to be now, forever. Don't come up if if it's not. And so I'm standing there, and all of a sudden all these men come up. And there's one guy right in front of me, looked like Goliath. (laughs) He's about this tall. And so I said, listen, I I have something to tell you. And I explained to him about, about the Lord, had me challenge this one individual. And I said to him, and this was for a reason, I said to him, are you a man? And I pointed to this guy. And I said, and this fellow said to me, yeah, I'm a man. I said, are you afraid of anybody? He said, I'm not afraid of nobody. And this guy is looking at me. <laughs> I said, a real man would accept Christ in front of all these people and dedicate his life in front of all these people out on the work floor. I says, are you guys? 
Are you doing that now? I was not, I took off the gloves, so to speak, in, in spirit. The Lord just had me do that. I said some things to them for a reason, and I told them a few other things. So that they would not just say, okay, I'll accept the Lord now, but it doesn't mean anything to them. See, and, and their backs are against the wall. And I told them, don't come because you're in trouble. Come because you want him. And it was, uh, was quite interesting. And I wonder if the Lord can get a hold. And I told them this. I says, I says how many apostles, disciples, did Jesus have originally? I said, and nobody said, I said, can you tell me, anybody? They said, 12. I says, you know there's 16 of you here? I said, 12 men who dedicated their lives and 12 men who said, I want to serve the Lord, changed not only Jerusalem and all of, of that area over there, I said, but affected the entire world. I said, you men can not only affect, I said, there's 16 of you. I said, not only affect here, I said, in maximum security, I said, but you can affect this entire jail, this group of men. Now, I don't know why I told them that. But I wonder, if God gets a hold of just a couple of them, really gets a hold of them, I mean, things could change for a lot of people up there. And the one guy came over, and the Lord had me, as I was saying things, I pointed at people. Wow. <laughs> and I don't ever do that. Wow. I pointed at one guy over this side, and I pointed at another guy on that side, and then Goliath in front of me. <laughs> The one guy that I pointed at first came up to me and he talked to me afterward and told me he was going to get out. And I don't know if that's true or not. And I told him, you know, you need to serve the Lord. See, so God can work all things together for good to those who are dedicated to him. Those who love him, that's what that means, dedicated to him. So if you're not dedicated to him, then he's not going to be able to work all things for your good. Even as a Christian. The qualifying factor there is to those who love him. See, and not all Christians are dedicated to him. And so if you allow the Lord to be involved with you, you allow the Lord to give you direction, you take his advice, you go his way, you're not looking to the world for strength, you're not looking to Pharaoh for strength, you're looking for the Lord, and you're looking to Him, then there is nothing that He can't do with your life. I mean, He can take you and spin you like a top. And spin you right out there, and all these people say, wow, look at you, it's the glory of God. And there you are spinning like a top. So the Lord can do all kinds of things. You don't know what God's going to do with your life. This is just this time right here. But, you know, you're learning things here the Spirit of the Lord is, is putting things into your life, and you're hearing things that are going to help you later. They're going to help you later. And you may be in a place where something comes out of you, and you say, wow, I didn't even know that was there. I didn't even know. I don't even remember that being taught. Oh, maybe I do. It doesn't matter. So like I said, I, you know, going God's way for me, to me, it's amazing that that God would even use me to teach and then 
take me to, you know, to, to the mission field, take me to the jail. It's like, I can't hardly believe it. I can hardly believe it. <laughs> the last person in the world would ever think God would do that. But I think the Lord is just looking for somebody who's willing, says, Lord, here am I, send me. And if they really want that, you know, they'll go through some things, but they'll come out with something. And what they come out with, the Lord will, will use that as bread to feed others. And you become the daily bread, the, de- the needful bread for people. And I, I thought about, um, I actually shared this with, the, with these men. I said, I, I was speaking at the jail some months back. And after I spoke, we asked the men if they would, you know, like to commit their lives to Christ again, you know. And so we went out and were praying for the different people. When I told them, I said, I walked up to two men, and as soon as I approached them, I got this in spirit. Like, stay away. So, of course, with the Lord sending me, I'm not staying away. So I, I walked up, and I was about this far away, and I talked to them for a few minutes. And once they saw I, I talked to them, it was kind of like the defense, I guess that they're in that environment, you know, and that, that's their reaction to people. And they knew I wasn't a threat in any way, including praying or whatever. And I could see in spirit that their defense started to just go down like this. And I said, I'd like to ask you guys a question. I said, have you ever accepted Christ as your Savior? They said, yeah, well, we were kids. So I told these other fellows in maximum security, I said, they accepted Christ when they were kids. I said, but look where they are. So accepting Christ is not the full answer. You accept the Lord, but you must follow through with it, not just come forward. You must follow through with it. And so every time I've gone to the jail so far, it's like I get up and I didn't want to go. So that signals to me that get past that not wanting to go thing and go anyway. And of course I would have, but I'm just telling you, if I would have listened to the way I felt, I would have rather stayed home, got back in bed, and pulled up the nice warm covers rather than go up there. So you you go and you don't know exactly what's going to go on. You don't know what's going to happen. You just... You know, just trust the Lord and let him use you. So it's much better to go the Lord's way because if your life is going to have an impact on other people, it's only going to be by the Spirit of God and allowing the Spirit of God to have his way in our life. It's not just the message, see. I wonder how many messages have been preached up there every week, two or three times a week. So it's not necessarily the message, but it's the messenger and the message. See, Jesus had a message, but his had such an impact because of the messenger, his life. Never a man spoke like him. And Samuel, it wasn't just his words didn't fall to the ground. Well, the, one of the reasons his words didn't fall to the ground is because 
his life, his manner of living, his de dedication to the Lord, his willingness to go and teach and found the school of the prophets, whatever it was, in you know three or four different cities. I mean, I'm sure he maybe got up sometimes that I really don't feel like going. So it's not about whether we feel like it or not. Now, how many times have you got up on Sunday morning and not felt like going to church? Now, if we, if we would go by our feelings, no one would be in church. Not too many anyway. So you have to get past how you feel and allow the Lord His way, and you just go. You, you just walk. You just, you know, it becomes a normal thing. You just, you just do it. And, you know, if you're saying, oh, I don't want to go. You know, I'm too tired or I don't feel good or whatever. And there's sometimes when you're sick, you, you know, you don't. But I'm saying that you have to get past how you feel so that the Lord can continue in your life and do what he wants to do, you know, in you so that whenever it's time to work through you in certain things, you're not going to go by what you feel. You're just going to go and do it. And I don't usually think too much about that stuff. I don't feel like it. I just, you know, I just, just brush it out of the way and it doesn't really matter. I just keep on going. And, you know, the Lord wants you uh, to have an impact, your life to have an impact on other people. And you might not even see it. You might not understand it. You might not know anything about that. But the, the outcome, you know, so eventually whenever this life is over for, you know, for us and we're on the other side, the Lord very well may take, and I don't know, but it may be, I mean, it may be that he'll show us, either show us this or we will be able to perceive and see it because uh, we won't just be physical beings. We'll be spirit beings too. And, and we will have a recall that we don't have now, you know, in our mind. We, we may be able to trace and see See, like, like now, we're very limited in what we can see. I'm talking about the influence of our lives. So we might be able to trace that and see how far that, that, that went out, like a tree. You say, well, I don't, I don't preach, I don't teach. Yeah, but you still influence people. You, know, you are still around people, and you know, your spirit has an effect on other people, whether you know it, believe it, or understand it. And so there are people that you come around that other people don't come around. And that doesn't necessarily mean you have to preach the gospel to everybody. You can't. But you very well may to some. I shared in the class last Thursday about this woman. She accepted the Lord. So today I was walking in the hall and she came up to me. She, she goes like this. She says, Al, Al, come here. And she goes, she pulls a Bible out of her purse. She says, is this Bible okay to read? Because she was Catholic. So I look at it and says, NIV is a good translation. You're good. You're good to go. She says, here, look. He says, I have a marker right in here. I'm starting in John. Now, that's just a week and a half ago. So I, I you know, been praying. I prayed with her at, at work, right in the hall. And I don't know if they like that or not. I don't really care. I mean, if they want me to leave, I'll just retire. <laughs> like I was supposed to be. <laughs> so I prayed for her right in the hallway last week. Sometimes you might have that opportunity. I want to tell you something. 
and I'm going to actually mention it Thursday, that we're talking about witnessing to people. But don't be afraid to pray for someone. Don't be afraid. You might be surprised. I prayed for her, and, and when she looked up, tears were all over, came right down all over the front of her in a matter of a minute. So she's going through some things. And um, she was just elated that I prayed for her. So, you know, you can have, your life can have an impact on people. Or you could say, well, I will pray for you. If you want me to pray for you, I will. Or you might say, I mean, it's not like, you know, you're right in the middle of, um, you know, I'll use the bank. Okay, someone's on the other side, you're a teller. And, okay, they're, they're, uh, they're wanting to cash your check. And say, Wait a minute, you can start praying for somebody next to you. You don't do that. You have to do what you're doing. See, but the Lord will, will open up a door for you in some other way. It could be at lunchtime. It could be at the water cooler, like they always say. You know, it could be anywhere. But you might have a, a very small window of opportunity, like with this lady, it was just two minutes. And, and I, had, I preached the gospel quickly in two minutes for her. And she was receptive. And I gave her a track. I gave her another track. So it, it doesn't have to be a lengthy thing. But you have to use wisdom. You just can't just, I'm not going to do my job, you know, and I'm going to, to preach to someone. No. You do your job. You be a good steward. And then the Lord will open up something, maybe after, maybe before. Who knows? You know, you just, you watch. Sometimes he does. Or you might work for, you know, several years and nothing comes up. I don't know. But the Lord will, will use you, and you can be an influence on other people for good. All things, and this is hard to believe. It's hard to understand what he means by all things. What do you think all things mean? All, what's all mean? All things. That's hard to grasp, especially if something's not too pleasant, huh? All things work together for good. No, not for everybody. That's how everybody thinks, all the Christians think. They'll, they'll quote it, all things work together for good. No, they don't. For those that love God. And they say, well, I love God. No, that's not what it means. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Love means be dedicated to him. Now, that's different. Not everybody keeps his commandments, and not everybody's dedicated to him. But those who are then all things will work together for good no matter what it is. And that's hard for me to even understand because there could be some pretty bad things that happen, you know. But we'll be able to navigate through it and uh, come out the other side with something of value. Okay, we'll have to stop there. I, I didn't get to anything I put down here. <laughs> Nothing. I had... All I did was read the first verse.